2: Hello and welcome to Court Case with me, your host, James Court. Today's show is sponsored by Robin Mayhew.co.uk. Robin Mayhew is a renowned and accomplished musical artist and sound engineer. And on his music store, you can get such amazing performances as Lou Reed's live US tour in 1974 and David Bowie's final ever Ziggy Stardust concert from the Hammersmith Odeon in 1973. All of that, as well as Robin's own compositions such as English Country Girl and North South Divide, are all available on his own website robinmayhew.co.uk and with that it's on with the show. Hello and welcome to Court Case with me, your host, James Court. Um, please listen on all streaming sites, iTunes, Spotify, we're on everything now. Um, I'm joined today with a very special guest, my good friend Robin Mayhew. Hello, Robin uh, Mayhew here. <laughs> Robin is um, a good friend of mine going back almost a decade now um, and he's had a very colourful um, music career working with people like <laughs> David Attenborough, not David Attenborough, David
3: Bowie, David. like that got David Attenborough on the bray. Yeah,
2: it's because of your essay and stuff. Oh, right, OK, we'll come to that, yeah. (laughs) But, um, uh, yeah, so um, (laughs) to start off, I know you're a big radio fan, but you're drifting from it a bit now, but um, have you heard about podcasts? Do you listen to any at all? I I must confess, I don't... um,
3: Mm. Being now just turned 80, (laughs) all these things I'm trying to catch up with, but... um, uh, I will certainly have a listen to me on this podcast. Oh, yes, please. On the court the... case. <laughs> yeah, I want to be the
2: first one to listen to. But, um, well, I've, I mean, I've found definitely in my experience recently that radio is very much dying and podcasts seems to be on the on the up. Oh,
3: really? I mean, yeah, yeah I, su- I, su- I guess so. I suppose uh, people walking around with their mobile phones, um, jogging or walking or on the uh, commuting... We'll listen to podcasts. I mean, uh, I, I must confess, in the car, I have the radio on. Yeah, but I'm dodging every advert that comes on. <laughs> I. Can't. That's
2: what's so frustrating about it. <laughs> but um, is for for example, there's a um radio host um in America called Joe Rogan, and he started a podcast, and Spotify have made a multi-million dollar deal with him to really podcast on their platform yeah really it's that popular yeah good lord i think it's it's probably the re- one of the reasons you said for example like radio ads and stuff i think that's one of the reasons that people move on to podcast because they don't want to be clogged up with all of the ads well that's
3: stuff. right i mean i mean you know you have a great bit of music playing and then you're blasted out with a shouting man telling you about products and i don't need to know any product I want. I can just look at on the internet. Yeah, exactly. If I want a new sofa, I can just have a look at my local branch. I don't have to be told, uh, you know, by some shouting cretin <laughs> to go to to go to some particular showroom because it's uh, nothing to pay for four years. I, you know, I don't need it.
2: It seems that DFS are just permanently on sale. Yeah, That's what it looks an like SCS yeah, that yeah, bloke yeah.
3: shouting at us.
0: God. <laughs>
2: But, um, well, it's the same with, like, um, TV streaming because everyone just pays for Netflix and, like, Disney Plus now so they don't get the adverts. Yeah. And um, I think maybe they should try doing that with musical radio.
3: Yeah. I mean, if there was an app where, um, say, you, you're listening to Global Smooth Radio mm. uh, and you switch on and immediately it comes up, pay 50p, you can listen for the next hour with no ads. Mm. So you pay your 50p, you get no ads, and at the end of that hour, you could probably get fifteen minutes of adverts. So the yeah. so they're still advertising and getting paid for it, but they're also getting a revenue from the public who just want to listen to the music.
2: Yeah, see that's kind of um, Spotify's model. Yeah, except it's all music, like no presenters. Obviously, I, w- I would like to see one that has, like, radio shows on it.
3: Exactly. You know? so, so you get the empathy of the person who's putting the music on. Yeah, absolutely. You get a bit of character. You, you you know, you feel for it, you
2: know. That was one of my favourite things about some radio stations is when you had the... Not, for example, I worked for Capital, and they obviously they did their thing very much on what the chart music was but i used to like the radio stations where the dj would choose the music so you could see their personality yeah, exactly their playlist was
3: yeah. I mean that's what radio 2 bbc radio 2 here in the uk used to be like that mm. used to have wonderful djs or or hosts entertaining and uh, they would play music that they loved yeah uh, and and So the whole thing would grow, you know, and many artists were launched through those programs. Mm. I mean, it's an amazing thing when you go back to Terry Wogan and things like that.
2: Yeah, me and um, me and Dad used to listen to Terry Wogan every morning. Yeah, he'd drive me to school. (laughs) (laughs) I loved Terry. Okay, welcome back. So um, I wanted to talk about your career for a bit. Cause obviously, that if you're obviously 80 now, you've had quite a ride <laughs> career. Um, how did the first thing I want to that I personally have never really asked you is like, how did it start? How did you get into wanting to do music and your musical career? Well,
3: okay, at school, um, one of my schoolmates was the great late Dick Morrissey, mm. who played clarinet, mm. and uh. We were in, I don't know, Form 4 or something, about uh, 15, 16 years old, mm. and we had a trad band. Right. And he he was a wonderful clarinetist. And we had a trad band called the Delta City Jasmine, mm. and um, it evolved from that. And at the same time, there was Lonnie Donegan on the scene and skiffle groups were starting. Yeah. And I bought a guitar and started strumming, and and Dick Morrissey would play t chess bass, and we'd have a little break from playing uh, the trad music when I played trumpet, and we'd do a bit of uh, skiffle mm. and things like that, so the guitar started. Yeah. And and from there, it evolved. You know, electric guitars came on the scene, the rock and roll movement came from America with all these different artists, and it was like the American explosion uh, yeah. over here all this uh, rock and roll, you know, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets and that sort of thing, mm. Little Richard. So it all started there, and I uh, and we formed a band called The Presidents in 1958. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we, d- we started playing clubs and pubs mm. around South London, and um, it developed from
0: there.
3: Yeah. So, so it went on, and Miles, another schoolmate, the great Glyn Johns, who's now a, a legendary producer who did Joan Arma Trading, The Eagles, oh, wow. The Rolling Stones and Get Back by The Beatles, he produced those. But in his early days, he was training to be a tape op at IBC Studios in London, mm. and he would invite us up at the weekend to hone his skills at production.
2: That's so cool.
3: And and we uh, he heard us playing this song, Candyman, which was... Um, um, you know, We had our own arrangement of it and he loved it And he said, come and record it So we did And he gave it to Decker, who signed us immediately mm. Did a photo shoot All very exciting And uh, then Decker, who had a band called Brian Poole and the Tremolos, Yeah They played it to Brian Poole Okay And Brian Paul said, yeah, we want to do it. (laughs) So they cut it and released it at the same time and we had to relegate ours to a B-side. Oh, no. So Candyman was a B-side. But we got it released anyway. But um, it was a bit lost in the uh, things. But then it went on. Um, We carried on playing. We had some great gigs all around London. Yeah. And and then we recorded a follow-up. She said, yeah. And uh, it was given to Decca. And we heard nothing. Oh, no. We heard nothing. And uh, that was in 1965. Yeah. But then in 2018, I had an email from this guy in Los Angeles saying, We found the acetate. (laughs) And we played it to Roddy Jackson, who'd written it with the late Sonny Bono. Yeah. And Roddy gave it the thumbs up, and it was released in June 2018.
2: That's mad. Where, so, where are they keeping it? For so well, it, it,
3: it was in Shell Talmy, who was working at Decca at the time yeah. in 1965, um, another legendary producer, in his record collection. Oh. And they were going through it because he was in Los Angeles and yeah. they, they moved to Los Angeles and they found it in there.
2: That's mental. Mental.
3: Yeah. So um, it's on YouTube. (laughs)
2: um, What was the name? She Said Yeah. She Said Yeah. The President.
3: The President, yeah. Sadly, our dear old bass player, Tony, he died... In February two thousand and twenty, oh, but he's there for his grandchildren to see yeah. playing.
2: So it was great. Absolutely. Have you um, managed to do any? Obviously, before he passed, had you managed to do any sort of reunion gigs or anything?
3: We did. We yeah. We one of one of the songs uh, I did. More love required. Mm. Um, I we did that as a video. Mm. Um, he was on that, and he also played on. Um, uh, English Country Girl, which is the thing I did with uh, a young lady in the yes, v- village here. I
2: remember that one, yeah. yeah. I remember listening to that. Yeah, that was quite. I quite liked that one. Yeah, it was good. Country, country.
3: country thing, yeah.
2: Mm, well, I'm a big fan of country music. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know. I love it because, obviously, um, you know my granddad. Yeah. Um, he, w- oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, because, obviously, when you were teaching me guitar, I would also go to my granddad's, and he'd teach me a little bit, and he brought me up on all Johnny Cash and Alan Jackson and country music and stuff and I really like it yeah so I wanted to talk a bit about um um some of the music actually worked because I know that the probably the one I know the most is you worked on David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust tour
3: yeah I was I was so lucky um my wife and I had this dream and we'd bought a um a restaurant Mm. in Ibiza oh yeah which actually is madness and I wouldn't recommend anybody to do it because you'd (laughs) never see the sun you're in there from six in the morning till 12 at night Oh no. um so we gave that up and came back and i had no job mm. and i went round to where glynn johns who i was mentioning earlier yes. used to stay in epsom and uh there was this guy nicky graham and he um he had a band uh called tucky buzzard right and I said I got no job and everything, and we were chatting. He said, "Well, look, we need we need someone. We're we're just taking delivery of a new PA system." I said, yeah. "Oh, okay." Um, so we picked it up and we did some rehearsals. And um, and um, Bill Wyman, the, the Rolling Stones' ex bass player, yes, yeah, was producing, going to produce their album. Mm-hmm. And um, we picked this PA up and rehearsed and and did it, and. Uh, I got the hang of it beautifully. And then uh, eventually, later, they signed with Tony De Vries, who had just signed David Bowie. Mm. And Bowie was going to do a demo for some record executives. Yeah. And um, so Tony De Vries said, why don't Tucky Buzzard do a little warm-up session? We set the PA up uh, at the Camden Country Club in mm. London. We did our set, which was pretty heavy metal, loud yeah. stuff, Nice, you know, uh, and finished. And then David went on to do his set. I think it was Mick Ronson and Rick Wakeman on keyboards uh, with their own PA system, and it was dreadful, oh. absolutely dreadful. Feedback howl, and you could hardly hear, and it was awful. Anyway, um, after the... when he had finished, we were packing our gear away, and I had this nudge on the shoulder, and it was Angie Bowie, and she said, can you come and talk to David, So I... Went and talked to him, and he said, "How the devil could I hear everything your singer was singing with all that noise going on?" <laughs> so uh, I said, "Well, it, you know, it's 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 you know, it's just the way um, I engineer it, I suppose." Yeah. He said, "We're going to rehearse with a new band. We've got to put a band together. We're going to go on tour. Can you come to the rehearsal?" Mm. So he said, "I said yes." So we took the PA mm. Tucky Buzzard's PA to Beckenham Rugby Club. Okay. <laughs> where the rehearse... Because he lived uh, in in Kent down that way. Right, yeah. At Haddon Hall. And uh, set the PA up and in he came, looking totally different. When I'd, when I'd met him before, he had this long hair and flared trousers on and now he came in with this mullet haircut, sort of reddish mm. and looking totally different. We just said, one, two, three, go, and they started playing. And for some, thank God, it just worked. Mm. And he was just amazed, and yeah. I got the job, so yeah. I did the whole of the Ziggy Stardust project, uh, and it was a wonderful experience because I saw a man achieve his yeah. ambition. Yeah, you know, I mean, there he was. Okay, he had Space Oddity as a hit, mm. but he was struggling trying to find a way forward, and then this alter ego made it all work. And yeah, luckily, um with the contribution of the musicians and the and I can say it my sound engineering yeah it it opened it all up to an audience you know and it was a wonderful experience for me and uh, and he was just elevated and just mm. took off
2: it's be- it's beautiful music
3: well it was amazing yeah i must confess um the only album i've liked i liked after that mm. was um let's dance mm. th- that one the rest, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't that's... really uh, like David's stuff, particularly after that. But um, Ziggy yeah. Stardust was totally memorable, you know. was yeah. and, and the live show was very theatrical. Oh, I bet it was. Oh,
2: fantastic. That's so cool.
3: And people, sorry, people have yeah. bugged me because yeah. um, uh, I used to, Mick Ronson, the late Mick Ronson, guitarist, mm. always asked me, he said, record the show just in case there's any slip-ups. Right. So I would record the show every night and yeah. usually there was no slip-ups. Yeah. So the next night, I'd simply record over the show. Right. So when we got to the last show, <laughs> there was this whole cassette. Yeah. And, and it went and I recorded it. But David's split the band up so i had this recording which i've kept all oh, these wow. years okay. and you can now get it on my
2: website so the of the final ziggy stardust the show.
3: final ziggy stardust show at hammersmith on july the 23rd uh, in wow. 2 in in 1973
2: said <laughs> That's mad. What is your website? Where can people get it? Robin Mayhew. Co. uk. Robbin Mayhew? Robin Robinmayhew.co.uk The final Ziggy Stardust in the music store, yeah. That's so cool. Oh,
3: the comments um of from the Bowie fans that have yeah. actually acquired it of are, are totally amazing, you know. No, it's a wonderful thing you know well, it's,
2: it's just it's something different listening to a live recording than than the studio version, yeah. isn't it it's just a completely different
3: oh it is yeah. i mean i mean the the actual uh um album of the show that the record of the show that was released yeah is all cooked and you know edited and there's a few different things on it and bits are missing you know mm. um but here you get the whole raw thing so yeah
2: is there anyone else sort of notable that you worked with as well? Other than
3: yeah, well, it went on to. I obviously met Lou Reed when I was working with David. Oh, he's great. Right. And, and Reed's uh, good. Lou Reed, and uh, worked with him. Uh, we did Australia, Europe, the United States uh, on tour with him. An amazing experience. Yeah. And Lou, despite all the stories about Lou Reed, mm. during that. Whole, he was promoting an album called Sally Can't Dance, which never really did it, but it was so funky in the 70s. It was great at that time. And the whole time, Lou Reed uh, was not stoned out of his head. (laughs) He wasn't, he was absolutely on form physically. (laughs) He danced every night on stage, Mm. you know, and really uh, fit as a fiddle. That's mad. Nice. Uh, okay, he might have had the odd little smoke now and yeah, again, yeah. but um... he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: um, on the tour when working with uh, David Bowie, did you do anything else except sound engineering, or
3: just prior to going on tour, before the Ziggy Star- Rise and Fall and Ziggy Stardust was released? Yeah. Um, Tony DeVries uh, took me in art. Uh, uh, we were in the offices, mm. and he said, "Look, here's the acetate. Um, can you check the lyrics?" Um, just to make sure it's all okay before they're printed. Yeah. And so we're going through them. And Anyway, we got to uh, Ziggy Stardust. I was listening to it, and I heard David sing Leper Messiah, Mm. and yet it said Leather Messiah. Yeah. But it was definitely Leper, what he said, so I changed it to Leper. And then in, in Rock and Roll Suicide, it came up, the water wall is calling, but it sounded like the wall-to-wall is calling. Yeah. So I changed it, like carpet. Yeah, yeah. So I, like, wanted to lie down because it was rock-and-roll suicide. <laughs> yeah. So, so it made sense to me, so yeah. I changed it. And there it is. If you buy the album now, it's, it's on there, Leper Messiah... And oh, wall to great. wall.
2: And uh, was David Bowie fine with these? Oh, yeah. He his... said, oh,
3: that's great. He <laughs> said, oh, no, we're seeing Leper in Future then.
2: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love that. Bit of writing as well. So, after the success of, I don't know if you've seen them, the films like Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man, there's mm-hmm. plans now with the same people to make a David, David Bowie film, uh, particularly around the Ziggy Stardust time. Oh! Yeah. Do you think we could see an actor portray Robin Mayhew on the screen? <laughs> oh that'd be amazing. Well you could do it. Yeah, I I definitely have a go, yeah.
3: <laughs> you could do it,
2: yeah. Yeah, no, I could put my acting Really
3: is that true? I didn't hear about this. Yeah,
2: it's in I think it's in pre-production at the moment in the early stages. Obviously everything's being slowed down because of the oh, corona, the... but these um music bio uh, films are just getting really popular. I don't yeah. know if you watched Bohemian Rhapsody. Rocket oh, Band. I did. I loved. I prefer Rocket Man to Bohemian Rhapsody. I haven't I seen yet, Rocket but Man, but Rock
3: Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody I saw. I thought that was excellent, mm. and and I thought the the the, the casting was yeah. absolutely brilliant. I oh, mean, yeah. it could have been Brian May. Yeah, <laughs> It's <laughs> um, brilliant.
2: Yeah, no, there's a David Bowie one in the works at the moment, um, but I don't know if they've cast anyone yet. I've no. not heard anything, but I just think that would be interesting. Be fab, yeah. yeah.
3: Maybe they'll approach me for some inside, for some consultation. That, yeah. that that
2: would be nice. Mm. But um, I'm sure, hopefully, they can check out stuff like your recording of the last show for some nice well, research.
3: Well, I hope so. Yeah. yeah.
2: Next, we're going to be getting to the essay that you want to talk to talk about, yeah. and also a bit. Uh, we're going to do my segment, which is courting with James, and that's all going to come okay. after this. <laughs> Okay, welcome back. Um the next thing that I would to ask you going off your sort of music stuff is that you've got you've just written an essay, haven't you, about something a bit well, different than music. Yeah.
3: yeah. I wrote it in I wrote it in 2018. Okay. A couple of years ago. Yeah. But the la- uh, it's called The Balance of Nature. Right. And it it it's about how every creature on planet Earth mm. balances except for humankind, uh, mankind has found ways of of extending life, saving life, um, and all the rest of it. So the numbers continually grow. Yeah. Um, and at the end of my essay in two thousand and eighteen, I said to balance nature, what we need is a catastrophic plague or a war. Oh no! <laughs> and um, blimey, two years later we have the uh, COVID nineteen. Strikes and, and everybody, every scientist, everybody is protecting, trying to find a way. So, again, the balance of nature
0: mm.
3: is disturbed. Yeah, now, if, if one looks at you know, all this climate change business that's going on at the moment mm. and this worry, it, it's all down to the growth of the number of humans living on planet earth yeah i fear for my children you'll fear for your children absolutely that in the next you know 50 to 100 years something catastrophic will happen unless something changes yeah uh, and a balance must somehow be be uh, achieved it's so humans th- through sort of greed develop grow multiply although it's uh, you know, childbirth has certainly tailed off a bit. Yeah. The uh, projection is that in the next... Uh, by the end of the century, the planet really won't be able to support um, all those humans. I mean, when you think there was a thing on David Attenborough's programme yes. where every every year, I think, an area the size of the United Kingdom of forest is being... Yes, flattened yeah. to grow crops and feed animals and all the rest of it, to feed humans. Mm. So if that goes on, if you look at a, a a map of planet Earth and start blotting out all the green bits the size of the UK every year, it ain't going to last long. Oh no, you know.
2: Yeah, that's. Ooh. So
3: you've got to you've got to somehow come to terms with the fact that you know you need to be married, have a sensible family. Mm-hmm. Um, don't go mad. And and these countries where uh, there are multiple births, you know, because there probably isn't contraception or something and they have maybe six, seven children. Yeah. And we, and countries like us, have to help them to feed those children. Is it, I know that sounds morally disgusting to say, you know, is that right? But is it right? Mm. Or should they balance? I mean, if an animal uh, runs out of feed... Um, those numbers will reduce until the grass or the uh, whatever they feed on redevelops and then yeah. they will they will start developing again yeah. so if mankind wasn't on planet earth it would be a perfect balance with everything just balanced
2: yeah that's a that's a tough thing to, a tough uh, pill to swallow isn't it it is we're the it's, bad guys
3: aren't we well bit? well we uh, Look at us. I mean, here we are. Mm. We are inventive, creative. We've done it all, you know. And and if one also protracts onto this situation the fact that we have almost done it all, how can you make a white knuckle ride more scary?
0: Yeah.
3: How can how by how much will Usain Bolt's hundred meter record be beaten?
2: Mm.
3: Not very much, you know. So all those little things indicate to me that we're almost at the point where humans can't do anymore. more. Yeah. We, we've got computers, we've got all this, we've got everything, electric cars, everything you can think of. We can fly, we can send rockets into space. OK, we can't do intergalactic travel yet... But what's the bloody point? <laughs> yeah,
2: well, when, because, like, when you think about it, when you think of the decades, for example, there was a lot of technological technological jumps in, like, the 70s, the 80s, or the 50s, Terrific. So the 80s, yeah. but now it's proper slowed down. Oh, yeah. It's just, like, the newest phone or something. With the little Exactly. Cable. There's not that much new, is there?
3: Oh, when you think, yes, as you said, uh, if you think of um probably the 1700s uh, through to now the development has been absolutely amazing you know, steam engines cars the whole thing has developed and this huge upward curve and as you say now is just tweaking little bits yeah you know little things yeah you know, we've almost done it all and is that that's an indicator to me okay i'm 80 you're only 24
2: yeah 24 <laughs> so
3: you've got another another 60 odd years to catch up what's it going to be like in 60 years
2: i don't know the the only thing that i'm truly interested in which obviously you i know you just said obviously what's the point but space travel does interest me a lot and i mean is it a case of trying to find somewhere else that we at least some of our population could live well i
3: I don't think i mean if you think of a radio wave Mm. which travels at the speed of light yeah um if there were other humans living out in space mm. on other planets and we've been sending radio signals since the nineteen what 1920s, something like that, or, right. yeah, about 1920s, mm. um, they've gone a long way, some yeah. of those long-wave radio signals, but there's been no replies no. in any form or other, not no. even a dot, dot, dot.
2: But, I mean, that doesn't mean... Planets are uninhabitable, it just means whatever's on them could not be at the technological yeah. stage.
3: So now it, mm. now it gets religious. Now it gets religious. Because if one throws the religion side and a god into it, mm. maybe planet Earth with Adam and Eve is an experiment. Yeah. And we are the only one. He's saying, let's see what happens. And here we are in the next you know, 50 to 100 years... It could all go pop, and he says, Oh, that's the experiment, that's what happens. Yeah, so I don't think personally, I think we're the only ones. Okay, I, I mean, I think we're the only intelligent <laughs> 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 creatures in the universe. That's
2: that's fair enough, uh, and
3: that's just my little belief, yeah, but um. It's the way I feel about it. Mm. You can go to spiritual things after that, you know. No, absolutely.
2: Um, are you a um, are you a religious religious man?
3: Uh, I always used to go to church with my with my parents back in my childhood, but um, it's all been rather challenged now. I've, I find the church not particularly constructive. They seem no. to have yeah, the sermons don't don't really have anything, you know. T- yeah. To me, I have my own spiritual belief. I just think we all have a if we're good mm. and we believe and we look after ourselves and we're kind and loving to other people, then our spirit will when we die, a spirit will go on, mm. and other spirits will be there and yeah, and that's the way it is. Um, I did a thing for youtube spiritual yeah. thing, concept of heaven oh wow, which is up there, yeah. Um, only one comment. <laughs> uh,
2: no. We'll try and change that. <laughs> but, uh, concept of heaven, Robin Mayhew. Yeah,
3: yeah. My view of heaven. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I think about it all the time. I'm, I'm, of the main. I'm sort of. I'm mostly a- atheistic. I think. Well, that mm. yeah,
3: yeah But 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 you have a, a feeling of value and love. Yeah. And uh, you wouldn't want to hurt anybody or no. do any harm, whereas. Other people, not you know, a lot of other people are really vile, mm. and uh, I don't want to meet those if there is an afterlife, yeah. You know, so my I believe that if you're good and you believe in a place called heaven, your spirit will go there, you yeah. Know, you know, I mean, as I, uh, I don't know if I said at the beginning of my essay, um, I hate killing a f- fly, yes, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I mean, okay. to me. Uh, a spirit can come and inhabit any creature on the earth you know mm. um it can it can come and um live in an insect a, a mouse a tree anything and experience what that feels like yeah and it can also enter a newborn baby the spirit yeah. and be there and the newborn baby can develop its own spirit which will add to the spirits when it passes. Yeah. Um, so you get this accumulation of good spirits. Mm. The bad spirits get left behind.
2: Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> that's, no, that's quite a nice way to think about it. Um, but no, I just, I don't know. I've, I've tackled with it a lot for a while. I, to be honest, my main opinion is if there is a God he has got a lot to answer for.
3: Well, uh, then it's like my, my essay. Mm. Um, if, you know... If coronavirus mm. is a way that planet Earth or perhaps God mm. is trying to correct the balance of nature...
2: I mean, possibly. You know. Yeah. Uh,
3: uh, we we don't know. We're, uh, we have to make our own. I mean, it's, it's a thing. It's a very deep subject. It is, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, people like Boris Johnson are stuck between a hard place and a rock, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Mm. Um, but, you know, maybe we should just let it go. Yeah. Bosh, you know. How... Um... All the young people, young people, the chances of a young 15-year-old are, are like the same as being struck by lightning, to to die. Yeah, no, you know? yeah,
2: that's right, yeah, I there's mean, only been a few.
3: So, so maybe, maybe, as I say, that little bit I added on the end of my essay, yeah. that maybe... All these young people, um, spurred on by Greta Thunberg and uh, Extinction Rebellion and fear of how the planet will be in the next 50 to 100 years, um, psychologically have. Created this virus yeah. to affect everybody of the older generation, to remove them all, so there's enough room maybe to balance nature.
2: You never know. But um, <laughs> how? How? Because obviously, I'm like you said earlier. I'm 24. You're 80. We're wildly different um, <laughs> generations. How have you personally been? Coping with the whole coronavirus thing, because obviously you would be listed as vulnerable. I assume. Yeah. Of the vulnerable community. How have you? How has it changed your life in the past year? No. It hasn't much.
3: No, not not really. I mean, we're lucky. Yeah. James, we live down here on the south coast, and it's uh, mm. touch wood. Yeah. Um. But if I contracted it, then, mm. okay, my chances are, you know, I don't know. Um. Yeah. Uh, I would I would hate to give it to anybody if I oh, yeah. had it. I'm, I may even have it now mm. and don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. I have felt a bit weird, but um, you know. Thanks for telling me. Before
2: I come round. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, yeah, it's it, we are lucky to live in like a live in the South, Coast in the, uh, mm. in the countryside. Instead, mm. we you got these uh, oh, apps must be. on your phone, which tell you how many cases are like in your area, reported cases. Mm. And um, we're doing OK at the moment. Mm. We're quite low, really. It
3: must be terrible for those people up north. You see where they've got thousands of people all closely living together. Mm. You know, it, very difficult. And all the employment, you know, people in factories and all that sort of thing up there, um, they're all on top of each other. So you get this terrific chance of spread. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean... It, You've got to get on with it, but there's. Uh, I mean, here, we, uh, we were, you were saying just now we're lucky, but when I go down to the village at half past eight in the morning.
2: Yeah. You're an early riser.
3: Yeah. My goodness, though, it's like chaos down there. Yeah. The number of people and cars, even in this coronavirus uh, yeah. time bubble. It's incredible. All the school kids, all the cars everywhere, trying to get into the station. I can't believe it, and we're still in. It's it's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's like Piccadilly Circus down there half the time, and that's what frustrates me about the village that we live in. Is that it's? I wish it was just like a proper little village. It's very built up now. There's so many houses being built. It's so frustrating. But
3: it is. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I mean my own. Thing is, talking about, you know, population explosion and all that, Yeah, I'd love to turn the clock back to the 50s. I mean, you weren't around in the 50s, Mm. but my dad would take us out for a Sunday drive in the car because that was something to do, exciting. There were no cars about, just Mm. one or two. But now, you know, no thanks. Mm. You know, it's just cars everywhere uh, and and villages were villages yeah the butcher the greengrocer, the you know hairdresser uh, and in the village and you shopped there and you supported those local shops but mm. now it's all you know it's all connected uh, and huge mm. supermarkets and retail centers and all that you know it's all mm. gone anyway <laughs>
2: <laughs> no that was a nice little um nice little tangent that we went on krono and stuff i want to go into our history a little bit oh yeah is um so of course we probably came close when i was about 1415 when uh, you decided to teach me guitar
3: yeah, I don't know. Um, how. Were you 14 15?
2: Yeah. I think I was in secondary school. I think I might have been about year 8 or 9. Yeah. So I think it must have been about that age. Mm-hmm. And obviously we've stayed close and in contact ever since. What did you what do you think of my guitar playing? I don't know if you've heard it recently. Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, you've you've continued. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you've uh, you know, you've obviously Found your own way around things mm. I've heard you strumming away Yeah Yeah
2: no. I, I just I find it a really nice hobby Because it's very It's very stress relieving Good Just to pick up a guitar And just play away isn't Oh
3: it? Oh it is Mind you I haven't I Over the last couple of years I've hardly done anything I mean yeah. I've really been Lapsed I mean There it is <laughs> Yeah My telecast mm. But I haven't done much I'm working on A song I wrote In 1988 Oh wow Okay uh, called Crises, yeah, and a guy in, Aust- in Australia, Johnny Justin, who was Australia's answer to Mark Bolan okay. back in the 70s great fan of Mick Ronson, and that's how I've come to know him. He's a great guitarist he he's currently putting a guitar solo on it for me, oh, <laughs> so wow. when I get it back, I shall listen to it and maybe shove it out.
2: yeah, that'd be great. I mean we'd love to play it on the play it on the show, yeah when it Crisis. Comes yeah absolutely yeah. No, definitely. All right.
3: No, your um, guitar playing—I heard you s- strumming in the garden sometimes. No, it's yeah. good.
2: I know, I love it. I love good. I—I've I d- I, done a bit of writing before, but I, at the moment, I just like to wax some chords up and just mm. play away. It's just nice and soothing, good. isn't it?
3: Yes,
2: but good. Well, we are going to get to a very popular segment on the show called "Courting with James." Yes, which I'll explain to you in a bit. Just after this. <laughs> Welcome back. So now we're going to do one of my favourite segments on the show, courting with James, which you've not listened to the show yet. So basically it's where me and the guest would look up some sort of relationship advice and we would give them advice and give them advice Uh out. But I was thinking today, because you've been married to your wife, Marty, for many years.
3: 54 years.
2: That's... An amazing amount of time. That's a brilliant relationship. I just sort of wondered if you had any, like, advice for a long-lasting relationship.
3: Yeah, keep her locked in a cupboard. <laughs> no, no, no. No, um, no we met uh, when I had the band back in the 60s. Yeah. And uh, fell in love and uh, loved her ever since yeah. and still love her today. But, it, it, yeah, it's... You know, we had our two boys... Uh, yeah. Ben and Ollie. We've always, I suppose, we've both been pretty creative in our own ways. You know, we've always wanted to do things and experiment and try things. Yeah. OK, I had all my rock and roll years um, and she was bringing up the two boys while I was on tour, so I right. didn't have much to do with that. So okay. she was involved in that when I was applying myself all to the rock and roll. And then then we went into retail and, of course, working together in retail, you're sharing ideas all the time, yeah. which helped the bond because you're discussing it. No arguments. You're discussing how you could possibly succeed. Yeah. And then we moved and we, we um, had a, a guest house up in Scotland. Oh, wow. So it was a new experiment and yeah. exciting. All our friends would come and visit at Christmas and New Year. So there'd be this this family thing, which was a very close family and friends bonding us all together, which was wonderful and um, life has just been you know love and and cherishing each other and mm. appreciating what each other does, you know yeah. um, she looks after me, I look after her yeah. and, and and we do a bit, and we've managed to succeed yeah. and uh, it's been a wonderful life.
2: Ah, oh, that's really great. Do you have any um, memories in particular, the, like, favourite memories that you and Mardy have shared?
3: Gosh, it's been... Everything's been absolutely wonderful. Yeah? I mean, I mean, for the period of time we lived in Scotland, mm. um, it was... Although the weather was rubbish... Yeah. <laughs> it was a wonderful time with, with friends and family coming up to see us because that would be like an occasion and we'd... Look forward to them coming, and then they'd arrive, and we'd have, you know, and they go. And we moved three times while we were in Scotland. We had wow. we had the guest house, then we went back into retail, and and all the the time, my two boys, they had their motorbikes, started to do motocross and this sort of thing, and obviously, I mean, dear Ben, my yeah. older son, broke his leg, broken his leg three times, I think, so he's stopped motorbiking now. Wow. But all the, all those things. Marty and I, we've had to pull together and look after and help and be with, you know. Yeah. So those are the important things, um, you know. It, and marriage, I mean, marry that person you love and keep them and cherish them. I can't understand, you hear people on the television, I'm on my third husband, or, yeah. or, you know, and I think, well, hang on a minute, I mean... I don't understand that. But there again it goes back into religion I suppose and, yeah. and being married in church as I as we were. And it it's a bond. And yeah. you it sticks you together, you know.
2: Well nowadays I think people give up to easily. Yes. Um yeah, I don't think they they know or put in the effort to get through these challenges and these and these trials and they just give up and they move on yeah. to the next person.
3: Move on to the next person. Yeah. Or, or or is it... I don't know if it's sexual lust or... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But um, if you love that person and you opt and you decide to get married... Yeah. ..then honour that. Oh, you know, absolutely, You've made yeah. that commitment and, and yeah. do it. Unless something catastrophic happens. But, you know, I I, I do despair a bit for... Um, modern society, the way it's it's going, you know.
2: Yeah, it's it's changed so much. I've um, I'm really in. Uh, what I I find like relationships and love and things like that really interesting. Mm. Like I read books on like modern romance. And yes, things, and I find it so interesting how how meeting people and forming relationships have changed so much over the years. So, like, obviously how you would have met Marty is mm. so much more different than how a young person now meets someone else with, like, Tinder and the dating yes, apps. Yes, yes, yes. And it's, it's just mad how much it's changed.
3: Oh, yes, I mean, you know, meeting Marty, seeing her the first few times, I mean, she would come to the, uh, the Red Lion Club uh, with her boyfriend... Yeah, um, you know, and I would see her and think, oh, she's gorgeous, you know, and gradually, you know, luckily, she obviously thought the same about me, which was wonderful, and we fell in love, and, and it went on from there. That's great. So, all those years of, of, of joy, mm. you know.
2: Nice um, organic meeting, you know. Yeah. That's what, that's what I like, because um, I've had, obviously, I've had a few previous girlfriends, and I've met them like online through apps and stuff. Mm-hmm. My current girlfriend, Sweet Tea, she, um, I met her through work and just, I don't know what it was, but just meeting in person and just organically stumbling upon that person then yeah. walking into your life, it just, I don't know. Just oh, that, a that, that, that's better. it,
3: yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, yes, it, uh, electronic meeting, I don't think is the way, you no. know. I mean, they paint a picture of themselves. I, I don't know, I've never looked at it. Yeah. But they obviously paint a picture of themselves... Um, with a photograph and you, 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 <laughs> i don't know it just yeah. no you need like you said you you met to get at work mm. so you're rubbing shoulders and you think oh you know oh i like the way she you know and talks and does that yeah. and i can see she, so you 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 fall you mm. fall for her you know exactly. and and that's the wonderful thing mm. rather than trying to like take it off the shelf you know i yeah. mean no
2: have you um, have you ever... Watched, I don't know if you've watched things like Louis Theroux documentaries or anything like that. Have no. you ever heard of polyamorous relationships? No. It's this thing now that there's a few people... Not many people do it, but a few people do it and they have documentaries on it where it's, like, more than two people in a relationship. So there'll be, like, a man and two women. Or, like, the woman will also have, like, a boyfriend and the man will also have a girlfriend and there'll be, like, a four. And it's just very strange and um, they're trying to like re-sort of define the concept of like relationships and loves it's not taken off very much but there's, there is a very certain group of people that are into it and they think that humans were not meant to be monogamous and that um, uh, monogamous is in just mm. with one other person and um, mm. that they think humans should share their relationships with each other and things oh. and uh, I just find hey. it a very, yeah. That
3: Adam and Eve yeah that's I mean, what it comes down to yeah I mean all this stuff that's going on at the moment about you know transgender and all that mm. okay I can understand I went through a period at school um I wasn't gay or anything yeah. but some of the guys you know we were sort of there was a closeness yeah, yeah. like a like a, a, a no, not a sexual thing or anything like that but You know, and I could bond, but but now you've got these things. I mean, going back Mm. to um, uh, population and all the rest of it, yeah. I mean, you've got uh, in America the number of the growth Mm. of of lesbian and gay numbers. Mm. uh, Maybe that's another way of balancing nature. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird world, but relationships, I believe, you know, love once you made those vows mm. stick together be yeah. there bring your children up loving and and if if you're a loving couple yeah your children grow up with that uh, same instinct you know yeah. that uh, and and thank god my two boys um, have been married for years you know and We've got two grandchildren, yeah, and happy families. That's great. You know, that's the way it goes.
2: Yeah. So you you still obviously stay in contact with your sons and everything's oh, yeah. all good. That yeah. see, that's that's great. That's what I want. Yeah. Is, yeah. I want to have a and family. the family. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
3: you know, we see our grandchildren. It's wonderful. Okay, mm. they're twenty and eighteen. My grandchildren. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there they are. Almost, they are adult, mm. and um, it's lovely because we all love each other, yeah. and they love. Mardi and and me uh, because we're all a family you know and that's i
2: love it absolutely that's a good um, so
3: good luck with your court ing <laughs> <laughs>
2: thank you but that, that's another thing that i've found nowadays i find that a lot of people try and define life by their career and not their family mm. i think Making a family and, um, you know, finding someone you love, having children with that, getting a house. I think that's one of the best ways that you can define your whole life yeah. ever. I, do, I think there, it's good to be career, career driven, but I think you should try and find the right, the right balance of, mm. of both definitely um, it's, it's like in a moment obviously there's a obviously you've got the big feminist movement and there's a lot of women that are being pushed to sort of obviously find their career and do their own thing which is great but it gets to the point sometimes where when you get women that the main thing is this they want to be a mum or they want to have a family they get yeah. like insulted for it yeah and I, I don't think that's right no um you know I mean for me I have a great obviously I really want to Get korean podcasting i want to be a presenter and stuff like that but i would happily have a family and look after a family while my wife is is doing her thing i would happily do that yeah um because i just i just think having a family is just one of the greatest achievements achievement in life, yeah. yes
3: it is mm. but, but keep a sensible number yeah sensible number eight children is is, <laughs> uh, is is i don't that that it gets silly when it goes up in those numbers <laughs> i don't think numbers. i could do um, that <laughs> no I mean, you've got to start to...
2: <laughs> Finally, one thing that I've been dying to talk to someone from the older generation about is nowadays, I don't know how much you keep involved in like the news nowadays, but recently it was um, World Mental Health Day, which is obviously a day where people are trying to bring awareness to mental health mm. and things like depression and anxiety and things like that. And you get a lot of older people... that are are like, obviously, like, oh, you know, we've been through a war, we didn't have mental health Mm. back then, we just, you know, put our boots on and and got with it. And I just sort of wondered what your view is of of mental health, if you think it's important or if you have that sort of view or or something like that.
3: Well, I suppose, um, going back to what we were saying about the human race and having almost done everything, Mm. um, this... Uh, amazing amount of depression there is now Mm. one reads about people depressed, you know, uh, taking antidepressants, I mean one of the most widely prescribed drugs now will be the antidepressants, Yeah, probably because there's nothing much more to imagine Mm. and therefore to be creative creative and do anything, it's Mm. difficult to find a niche Mm. that that you can develop and do because it's all been done so I think there is a mental... Stress, you know, you, you can't escape yeah. because everything is done. If it's not done, it's on the television coming at you, and you're just left in despair. Mm. So, I think there is a real worry for the human mind that it, there is a, a a lot of mental stress at the moment, yeah. Um, bec- because people can't really develop their ideas, well, they haven't got any I- the ideas to develop, aren't there, yeah. as you said earlier. It's all just refinements now, little mm. tweaks and this and that, and you've got to be a brilliant brain to find that tweak to get the excitement, yeah you know I mean Dyson invented the vacuum, <laughs> yeah. but he but what's he doing now? yeah you know, he's made all his money, but can he find another thing mm. no.
2: I think it's a lot of it is to do with the fact I think life was just simpler quite a few years ago, and if you think about it now you've got. It's hard to get a job now. Mm. It's hard to buy a house. You've got people judging you on your looks and what you think on social media. Mm. You got whereas, you know, years and years and years ago, it it wasn't as hard to get a no. house and and you could get a simple job with a simple family. You didn't have anything to work, as as much to worry yeah. about. Absolutely right. I just think there's just a lot of pressure put on people in society nowadays and I think I think Obviously, moving forward is really important, but I feel like in some ways we do need to take some steps back. Back.
3: It, honestly, we're going over ground we went on earlier. Yeah. With, with, <laughs> with, with, with the population. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, as you rightly say, I mean, wonderful back in those I mean, when I started to, uh, work at Plan Airs in Leatherhead, doing aircraft, air conditioning, it was. Yeah. It was great. Little mm. job, had my motorbike. Go there, you know, apprentice then in, in the drawing office. Yeah. Uh, and so easy, just lovely way of life. But now, as you say, it must be so difficult for you guys like you, you know, yeah. trying to find that niche mm. to go into. Absolutely. You know, I don't know.
2: <laughs> it's difficult. Very can, difficult. Can't answer it just us two.
3: No. But... Maybe we'll get an answer from somebody who listens to
2: this. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, I mean, come on. <laughs> tweet at me, at the Court of James. But um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on mm. the no, show today. No, thank you. It's been great to to sit down and talk to you for a bit. We're going to finish by playing one of your songs. That oh, thank you. Add, uh, Katie, Katie, yeah. the one that you've sent to Greg James.
3: Yeah. Um, I... I... Mm um yeah sent it to greg james that's right yes (laughs) it's greg
2: james (laughs) so hopefully this will get it a few more listens as well it's Mm. katie katie um tune in next week guys my girlfriend sweet tea is going to be back and we've got some great topics that we're going to be talking about and thank you again robin well thanks for having me on no worries and i'll see you guys all next week
0: takes my